1: your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Barnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now, to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today are my two good friends and co-host, Chad Robinson and Brian Fry. Chad, how are you doing today? Bonjour, everyone. Oh, Bonjour. That sounds fancy. I like to say it and with a hard J, so it'll, I, I accentuate how poorly I did in French class, so uh, <laughs> which was bad. <laughs> I like when an so. entire village just sings it. Yeah, and joining us from Spokane, Washington, is Brian Fry. How you doing, her?
0: Oh, we're doing really well out here, man. Got the old school uh, crowd here for an old school movie.
1: So let's just warm things up. We're doing an animation movie. So, uh, who is your favorite animated villain? Brian, why don't you take this one first?
0: Oh, gosh. Favorite animated villain of all time. I, I might go with Jafar. I think Jafar was always... Aladdin was a big one for me, and I, I think I've kind of speculated... I think this is also one of the reasons I think ben, ben Kingsley makes a really good villain because they they just remind me of each other so much. But yeah, it's uh, I'm going to go with Jafar on this one.
1: Great choice, and Chad, who is your favorite animated villain?
0: I'm a big fan of Scar.
1: Have a, have him on a T-shirt? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, those are both great. Those are in my upper echelon. Both of those. So uh, my mine's gonna be Sid from Toy Story. Oh, I can't stand nice. that kid. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. he's he's a he's an evil kid. So I mean, he's a good he's a good villain.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a good one. I like that.
1: Yeah, so what is the last movie you saw, Brian?
0: I watched a, I believe it's a Spanish, the first movie in a Spanish series, kind of like the Millennium Trilogy uh, for Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. It's called The Invisible Protector, or I'm sorry, The Invisible Guardian. I'm not much on dubbed movies most of the time, but this kept a hundred percent of my attention. And it's a really, you know, they've made all three movies. You can check it out on Netflix, but yes, very, very entertaining.
1: Oh, nice choice. And, you know, I take the dubs over the subtitles. I'm an unintellectual. uh, I'm an unintellectual viewer on that one. I don't like reading stuff that they say before they say it is is part of it. And also I can't drink in the full visuals when there's when I have to read the movie. So I I go dubs over subtitles. But I I know you feel differently, Chad. Yes,
2: absolutely. Yeah. Got to go with their
0: originals.
1: All right. And Chad, what about you? What's the last movie you saw? I watched
2: the new Godzilla versus Kong movie. Oh,
0: Oh, I forgot that's out. Oh, that's (laughs) so what I'm doing tonight. Oh my gosh. You know, when I first watched the preview for that, uh, my wife was in the room and she was like, well, you got really quiet all of a sudden. I was like, shh. And she's like, what are you watching? And I was like, it's the preview for the new King Kong uh, Godzilla movie. And she was like, oh yeah. And I was like, yes. And if you're wondering, do I need to watch King Kong and Godzilla fight on the deck of a aircraft carrier the answer to that is yes yes i do
2: yeah i'd, I'd encourage <laughs> everyone it is exactly what you would think it's as dumb as you would think and it's as awesome as you th- would think hang in there it doesn't make a whole lot of sense but it pays off you'll you'll get what you're looking for
0: nice. i'm 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 in for this movie the way i'd be in for any additional pacific rims they decide to do
1: uh nice my last one was Mr. Popper's penguins. Huh. Penguins are my favorite animal, and this is just one I hadn't picked up until recently. And as a Jim Carrey fan, this was a hole in my library. So I did Mr. Popper's penguins, and I had a good time. Awesome. Yeah. Now, I would—I I don't know if this is uh, fair to say, but the penguins are rendered in an off-puttingly real way. I would prefer to have them CGI'd in a cuter, more personable, personified way, but... uh Nevertheless, had a good time with that. So you want Happy Feet with Jim Carrey? Um,
0: oh, that was so weird. It was so weird. <laughs> it's still one of the most disturbing movies I've ever watched.
1: Yeah, th- this was better than Happy Feet. But, uh, yeah. Uh, today's movie is what, Chad? 1991's Beauty and the Beast. All right. And so this movie stars Paige O'Hare, Robbie Benson, Richard White, Jerry Orbach, David Ogden, and angela lansbury rex everett and jesse corti it grosses 204.8 million dollars that's a lot of money for 91 and that places it at third in the box office that year it comes in just behind robin hood prince of thieves and ahead of silence of the lamb you know are those all three good movies to watch with your kid chad (laughs) (laughs) uh we've only seen
2: this one so let's just leave it at that
1: okay okay all right well, if you don't want your kid to sleep for your silence of the lambs, is probably a good one on that one. So, uh, yeah. And the number one movie from uh, 91 was Terminator 2 Judgment Day. IMDb gives Beauty and the Beast an 8.0. Rotten Tomatoes critics give it a 94%, thinking of it very highly. And the audience scores just there with it at... 92%. It's an Oscar winner. It gets the best original score and best original song for the song Beauty and the Beast. It's nominated for Best Picture as an animated movie that's kind of a big achievement. It's the best original song. was also nominated for Be Guest and the opening song of Belle. So it won for Beauty and the Beast But it also got three of the nominations in that category, so it it has stacked the deck there. It won three Golden Globes for Best Motion Picture, Best Original Score, and Best Original Song. And it was nominated for an additional one for Best Original Song as well. AFI's 100 Years of Passions gives this number 34 on their list. And AFI's 100 Years of Songs ranks Beauty and the Beast at 62. AFI's Greatest Movie Musicals has this at number 22. It seems a little low to me, but I do like musicals, so maybe it's a solid list there anyway. Top 10 animated films, though. This puts it at number 7 on the animated films of all time from AFI. So, Chad, had you seen Beauty and the Beast before? If so, what was your background with it?
2: (laughs) Yes, I, I saw it very, very early. And Russell's tone is because he knows my wife. This is my wife's favorite movie of all time, so we're, we're a little bold, possibly critiquing her favorite movie, but uh, we're going to go there. We, we had just seen it probably within the last year. We've been kind of introducing it to my daughter as well, and she's a big Lightning McQueen Cars fan. It's, uh, it's less stressful than something like this. It's less scary, but she still likes it.
1: That's great. Obviously, you've seen it over the years being your wife's favorite film. How does it deal with uh, returning to it? Does it hold up well? And is it uh, good upon returning to it and studying it closer today?
2: I think I find something new just about every time I've seen it. And it's getting up there on the fact that it may be one of my most watched movies of all time. We probably watch it at least once a year. So, yeah, there's there's something there, I guess we'll say.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and Brian, how about you? Now, I know you're not much of a fan of animated, at least children's family flicks. How did this go for you? What was your background with it? So this is the most female-centric
0: Disney movie in my basically uh, triad of uh, this is nearly the perfect children's movie. The, th- the three I really grew up on heavily was this Lion King and Aladdin. And I, I you know, full disclosure, I, I listed towards ones that have uh, more of a male centric person as the primary character. Beauty and the Beast is the outlier because this movie is stunning. I mean, even going back and rewatching it and it's been. Years, I mean, there's a there's a chance I haven't watched this since the 90s and I'm. I still sat there just in awe of this film. Every person that had a hand in this, every character voice actor, the songwriters, the direction. I mean, this this is what makes Disney magical.
1: Yep, and uh, so that's high praise, and I'm right there with you. The I saw this in when it came out in theaters. And I saw it again because I, went, I had the uh, benefit of going to see the New York uh, Broadway performance of Beauty and the Beast. And that, that came out when I was in junior high. And honestly, that rekindled my love of it then because it's it's really good on stage. And so I went back and revisited the movie. And even in an age where you're not really appreciating these things as much as a teenage boy, I, I did continue to have enthusiasm for it. So it's been a little while since I've returned to it, and I watched the live-action one when it came out. It was really solid, too, and I enjoyed it. So, you know, no matter what iteration of this that comes out, I'm really enjoying it, and uh, it's holding up really well at every decade of my life, and it's one of those ones that I've returned to, and it's holding up very well for me, too. So I'm with you guys. Uh, I think this was every bit of deserving for its Best Picture nomination. In fact, I might have lobbied for it to have won that year so without any further ado there will be spoilers that lie ahead so we will come back and spoil this movie so if you haven't seen 1991's Beauty and the Beast do yourself a favor watch it and we'll be back after these messages
0: Like you. What happens when two modern film fans go back and rewatch all the old classic films from yesteryear to see if they hold up? You get the Classic Film Jerks Podcast. Find the Classic Film Jerks Podcast on all the major platforms.
1: Okay, we're back. And if this is your final warning, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. Now, Chad, for those who haven't seen Beauty and the Beast since 1991, do you want to refresh people's memory?
2: Absolutely. So bonjour, everybody. Our fairy tale today is about a woman named Belle who lives in a small French village. She has a tough time fitting in because she enjoys reading and dreaming of, of adventure instead of a daily grind of provincial life. She's pursued by the hunky but egotistical Gaston, along with his faithful sidekick Fou. Belle's eccentric father, Maurice, gets lost in the woods on the way to showing off his latest invention and winds up in an enchanted castle. He's quickly imprisoned by a massive creature called the Beast. Belle tracks down the castle and offers to take Maurice's place, and the Beast agrees. Turns out the castle is under an enchantress's curse, and all the souls inside have been transformed into household objects unless the former prince, now the Beast, can find true love by his 21st birthday. It's a rough start by Belle and the Beast, but eventually they begin to develop feelings for each other, spurred on by Lumiere the Candelabra and Cogsworth the Clock. Maurice falls ill and Belle is released to go care for him. Gaston, however, is still plotting and decides to imprison Maurice for being a lunatic to leverage Belle into marrying him. Belle attempts to prove Maurice isn't crazy, so she shows the crowd a magic mirror that proves the Beast exists. This only enrages the villagers. They come to the conclusion they can't really have a massive creature casually abducting citizens, so, led by Gaston, they storm the beast's castle. The beast triumphs over Gaston, but is mortally wounded. Belle confesses her love to the beast as he lays dying, and suddenly the spell is broken with a kiss. The beast is revealed to be a prince, and all the residents return to their human form, and they all lived happily ever after.
1: All right. Great recap. And so, Brian, this movie is coming in off the heels of Little Mermaid, which was a return for Disney going back to the world of fantasy and fairy tales. They had started many, many, many years ago with Snow White and Cinderella. And they really got away from that in the 70s and 80s. And they returned to it here in the 90s. How do you like the story? And is this a good thing for Disney to take those old literary fantasy elements? Do you like that?
0: Absolutely. I mean, this is, this is what Disney does. This is their bread and butter. I, I can say as a 36 year old now that this movie is just as magical as it was when I first saw it in 91.
1: Yeah. Now, Chad, what do you think of the story of beauty of the beast? It's a little more nuanced and more complex than a lot of animated movies. We, you don't, it's not just simply love at first sight.
2: Yeah, they even start with that kind of alluding to it. Belle's reading a book that's about her. It, if you pause the movie, in the book there's a caricature of Belle in the corner of her book where she's The theme is don't judge a book by its cover. She's talking about it, and that's what this movie becomes. There's a song called something there that I didn't see before. That's uh, that's actually my wife's favorite song. Yeah. Disney had been trying to make this movie since Snow White. They tried in the 30s. They got beaten to the punch. There was a Beauty and the Beast in 1946. It's based off of a fairy tale. It's a very different movie. Kept trying in the 50s. This was a passion project that Walt Disney wanted to see done, and they just couldn't figure out how. And it really took a good director and a new direction for this film, along with amazing music, to get this done properly.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad they waited because, to your point, this is the right music to go with it. I think, I think every bit as much as it is an animated movie, it's one of those things where I, I stopped one day and I realized I'm a huge fan of musicals. The musicals were really dead, and I was making a list of my favorite musicals, and then one day I, I, I kind of had this. Like, aha, like animated movies don't count towards musicals to me in my mind before that. But then I realized, yes, I mean, I not only did I see this on Broadway, it is a musical. It's it, it's written from the standpoint of being a musical. And it's a really, really good one at that. So I don't want to diminish the fact that it's a it's a solid musical uh, on its own, not just because it's an animated movie. Somehow that got lost to me over the years. And some of these other Disney movies, Little Mermaid, Aladdin. And Lion King, which they were on fire here in the early half of the 90s at Disney, are all phenomenal musicals.
2: Yeah, this was the golden age of Disney. It's where where they've kind of remade themselves, and now they make a ton of money. Well, now they have Marvel and Star Wars and everything else. But this allowed them to survive the periods that they later were trying out with, like Atlantis and we covered Emperor's New Groove. We like Emperor's New Groove. It didn't really work out. It wasn't a moneymaker. Hercules. Those middling films that kind of get lost until Pixar gets picked up.
1: Hunchback, Pocahontas. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I'm, you know, and I'll cop to this. Like Russell kind of said earlier, I do not, or I have not uh, previously made a real point to check out big name animated or otherwise Pixar or, you know, regular animation films and it's not because I have any particularly set against them it's just it's not something that I you know factor in time for now with a nine-month-old daughter uh, I'm sure that will train change drastically and uh, the things I have and haven't seen but I do think that Disney and Pixar lost some of their magic post 2000 the last movie that I really saw and enjoyed while I was still seeing those kind of movies was Leloo and stitch. And I'll even admit, and I love that movie. I'll even admit that if you put Leloo and stitch up against any of these Heyday Disney movies, I mean, it doesn't come close. Oh, I agree. That's
2: my favorite one of all time, but I hear you. It's, it's a different type of movie, but Disney kind of has recaptured their mojo. They've had a string of really good hits that I recommend every time I can. Tangled with is the tale of Rapunzel. It's excellent. Original story of Princess and the Frog. Man, that's good. And it's more like 90s Disney. And Moana. That is a well done movie. And it's a lot of fun.
1: I'm always playing from behind on these. So I have I catch have up to do. Much like Brian. So,
0: oh, I've got a caveat. I realized that I accidentally was in a position where I watched Brave when it came out. And I really did enjoy that one too.
1: Yeah. Now let's look at the character of Belle here. She's she's cool in that she's a smart, intelligent, avid reading princess or not sorry, not princess, but uh
0: she is a Thanks, she Frankie foreshadowing.
1: Yeah, yeah. She uh she she fits into her town very poorly. She's an outcast because everybody's just kind of busy with their humdrum life and she she is this intellectual who aspires and hungers for adventure and for bigger things brian as somebody who loves reading i'm sure this this resonates with you as well
0: oh yeah i i think the the first song in this like oh man she's reading and i'm like yep shame on those people who read they could be <laughs> doing so much else how dare like you focusing read? on
1: the gorgeous gaston
0: But I will say I did get a little bit of a chuckle this most recent watch uh, to prepare for this show. I kept going back to Chris Hemsworth and Cabin in the Woods, and I just wanted Gaston to, like, grab a book out of her basket. He goes, who showed you these? (laughs) <laughs> so I, I will say that the uh, the pop culture I have watched since then uh, definitely crept up into some mystery science theater worthy humor as I was watching uh, as I was watching it this go around, but yeah, man, I mean. This is something I want my daughter watching because I want her interested in that. I mean, I want her toting books around all the time. I want that to be her first go to for her entertainment, not just, you know, flip the TV on. And and, I mean, sure, she can watch movies and stuff like this, but I want her to enjoy reading in her life.
1: Yeah, and also Belle's pretty cool in that she doesn't, she right off the bat does not fall for Gaston's handsome good looks that most of the women in town seem to be swooning over. And she's able to see something deeper and uh, connect with Beast. And so she's a, she's a pretty cool character from that standpoint, especially a female-driven character. And that's ahead of its time in that regard for this movie as
2: well. She's a lot of first in the Disney canon. She's the first brown-haired princess. She that so. First hazel-eyed.
1: Wait a and minute! Snow White has brown hair. Or?
2: Snow White has black hair.
1: Well, she's a brunette. She, she is not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she is a raven hair. But uh, yeah, okay.
0: yeah, and <laughs> don't I want I'll, I want to hear you two discuss uh, the finer points of uh, raven versus brunette.
2: Yeah, it's uh, they're they're not the same. They're not the same. But uh, hazel eyes. But she, her defining characteristic. All the princesses that come before her, pretty much the defining characteristic of them is their kind. Snow White's kind, Cinderella's kind, Ariel. She's a little mischievous, but she still has a good heart. Belle is the first intellectual. She's the woman reading that. They really drive home the point that she's just. She's after knowledge. It's not just kindness at her core. Now, that's an important characteristic. But yeah, that's so cool. And I know things in this movie are not going to hold up to modern day standards for things. Fairy tales are imperfect. Disney tells imperfect fairy tales. That if you read
1: the originals, they're very imperfect.
2: But yeah, it it was major progress
1: from where they came from. Yeah. And honestly it's interesting that you mentioned that i think they made a number of improvements over the original story so in gabriel suzanne barbeau's uh dave villanuev's uh story of beauty and the beast that's a long name don't ask me to say that a- even one more time in this but in the original story of beauty and the beast uh Oops. the print <laughs> yeah the version of the tale uh the prince was not turned into a beast for being selfish and unloving but because he just refused to marry the evil fairy godmother Uh, which isn't even that bad of a thing to do. And likewise, Beauty's uh, challenge in understanding the Beast was not uh, a volatile temperament, but it was just he was a dumb guy. Like, he was stupid in Beast form, so she had to, uh, you know, come to see the kindness in him, even though he's stupid, even though her character is smart. So... I like this whole, like, I was spiteful and unkind, and this, this curse was put on to him to teach him a lesson. That's a big improvement right off the bat.
2: They also cut the three evil stepsisters of Bells. I mean, Cinderella was kind of like, yeah, we, we've done that. we got to cut those characters
1: yeah that would be a lot like them. cinderella yeah that that we've seen that before uh did she also have friends who are mice in that one as well <laughs> no she did not
2: I mean, okay she, she does wind up having a friend that's the candle
1: yeah and bill's love of reading is just meant to be a sign of great intelligence and it's the whole premise is don't judge a book by its cover and i think that that kind of comes through in, in this and that's that is a good nod and connection to the source material but it elevates it and it's done I would say better here than it is in the original story so and another sad thing would be the character Gaston is not in the original fairy tale at all and rather there was a another antagonist Avenant who was in love with Bill and he tried to kill Beast upon learning she loved him and he loses his life in the process. I'm not sure if that's so much a name change but I just feel like they did so much more with the Gaston character.
2: Man, I love Gaston. The the Disney Parks guy that dresses up as Gaston just loves his life, too. If you ever go to YouTube, check out the videos, the people doing that character. They'll just do ridiculous push-up contests and just can be an arrogant jerk to all these little kids.
1: Seems like a dream come true. Yeah. Brian, do you like this villain character that we have in Gaston?
0: I mean as much as you can like a villain i suppose he definitely doesn't rank on my like, top villains or anything like that just because he's pretty dumb i mean it's 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 rough how stupid he is i suppose he knows his trade well enough and i did think that the live action guest on did a little bit better to shape the character than the disney animated one really allows for i mean they still have that airheadedness level to it, but it just wasn't quite so aloof. And yeah, I don't know. It's just, I, I don't think I ever really feared Gaston as a child, the way oh. that like a, a Jafar or scar or even Ursula, you know, where you're just oh, like, man. <laughs> Ursula was frightening.
1: One thing that Gaston is different than those as, and to your point, you're right. He's not as fear inducing as those. But he's funny, and he has to walk the line. He and LeFoe are actually, as well as Bill's dad, are the sources of humor that comes from this. And to do both of being your antagonist, but also be a comedic relief, that's actually a tough line to walk. And I think they do it really well, because he makes me laugh by how, like you said, how vain and how stupid and vapid he is. But also, at the same time, he is a formidable physical opponent when it comes time to getting into a fight. Uh, He does both well. Uh, He's
2: such a wiener at the end of it, though. (laughs) Uh, He's my second favorite villain. I love his song. I I love the ridiculous arrogance. And really, I've had this discussion, given the information he had of, hey, there's some giant monstrosity in the forest just kidnapping people at will. I kind of feel like he came to a logical conclusion of, let's take this mob and torch his castle like that's the information he had
1: but also before doing that i'm going to make sure that i commit Bill's dad so that i you know she's forced into marrying me just for good measure too
0: well, listen nobody's alright wait wait alright there there are two things that i feel like really need to be addressed here one of them i was planning on bringing up anyway but the other one you know is what you just brought up here they very conveniently left out the pass, the part where both of them were trespassing Okay, so we're really going to get legal about this. He's not just abducting people at will. He said, hey, you broke into my house.
1: You heard it here, people. If you break into Brian's house in Spokane, he will put you in a cell. However, he will let (laughs) you exchange the intruder's place for the daughter's place. So he's going to be reasonable (laughs) about it. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) So there's that. And then I just want to say that the real villain of this movie, and this is something that's incensed me for a little while, but the real villain of this movie is the Enchantress. It's not Gaston. Because what witch bitch witches the staff? <laughs> I, mean, that is, I mean, that is, that's some evil stuff, guys. Like, Chip, you're telling me that the, the maid's young son needs to go down with the master? I mean that's that's some dark stuff right there. Like I just I don't know. I can't it's get over It's a good the point. Thing.
1: It's a good point. She's she's definitely one to uh to, to hit back, but on the other hand, doesn't that make the reward so much greater than if just Beast is transformed back into his human form and learns his lesson? Like it makes it so much better because the whole staff is saved in the end. I mean, it's very fun to see everybody has been saved and returned back to their human form. If it, if you didn't have that, would the end be as good?
0: No, I hear you. But I'm saying, how does the whole staff not then kill him for <laughs> blank number of years of incarceration as tableware?
1: You're right. They are. They do have a pretty good attitude towards him. I think they more fear him. But um, you're right. Sure.
0: I mean, I just I don't know. I it's, That is really the, the, the twist of this whole thing. That as an adult looking back at a children's movie where I would never have gotten that level before and having worked in the service industry, you know, for most of my life, I'm like, oh my God, you know, you're going to say your boss sucks. So I'm going to punish all of you basically worse than him because he already doesn't love anybody, which I'm assuming the staff is part of the people he doesn't love. So he was probably a real, you know what, anyway. And we're going to go ahead and punish you. Not only do you have to stay with him forever because you're you're now uh, furniture, but you have to hang all of your hopes on life on a woman falling in love with a beast. I just think that that's like it's just it's such
1: a damning thing. (laughs) Wow, Brian has hurt. turned into Randall from Clerks. You know what never sat well with me in Return of the Jedi? All those independent contractors were blown up too.
0: <laughs> I just—I don't know. I feel for these people now. And, and Chip makes it worse because he's so cute. And you're like, you did this to a child. Like, what's wrong with you? I feel like the word enchantress
2: kind of infers that she's not a nice person. Are there nice enchantresses? I, I don't
1: know. It's a good point. Hey, you know, you know, if we want to go into these minor technicalities, you know, one of the things that kind of got to me is in the prologue, the rose states that the rose will bloom until the prince is 21. And later, Lumiere mentions that they've been waiting for 10 years rusting. So this enchantress, in addition to being extra mean about vexing the whole staff or cursing the whole staff, she curses an 11 year old boy.
2: Yeah, they, (laughs) they did change that in the live action. They actually changed the line to we've been rusting for years instead of 10 years and they changed they cut the 21st birthday entirely out so that's okay. that's one thing the live action got right they actually yeah. did change that yeah. in uh in a special edition too i think it was like 2002
1: yeah yeah you could just you could just take out the you could just take out the- 21 part like you said and you're, right. you're fine 10 years is a good long wait so I'm, I'm okay with that but i was sitting there going like so you're mad at him he wouldn't marry you or take you in at 11 because i mean you should have all of your manners completely wired into you by that point to the point where you should curse somebody and their whole staff for that and, matter. and, and let it
0: yeah i mean that's that's prime stranger danger age so you need to be like no crazy homeless lady who just walked into my place.
1: I don't know you. You can't come into my house. I'm going to go Kevin McAllister and set up some booby traps for you. Right.
0: (laughs) She's lucky she didn't get a paint can to the face. He was 11
1: and he had no parents to no parents anywhere. 11 year old orphan. By the way, there was some good enchanted home alone action. I liked, I loved it when the staff or all the enchanted items in that castle totally took it to the townspeople who were an angry mob coming into the storm that was re that was remarkably rewarding and i could have done with even more of that that was just fun
2: <laughs> the chest of drawers going ham on the guy was great
1: yeah and then he like walks out because he's dressed and he's just so embarrassed and runs away that that's that's phenomenal did anybody else think
0: that when the dresser dressed him he came out looking a lot like ariel yes yeah that was
1: intentional oh, okay i actually did not catch that but that's very funny now, we haven't actually talked about The Beast. Actually, this movie kind of has two protagonists, which is another one of the reasons I say this makes it a more challenging Disney movie than many of the other ones. It's Beauty and The Beast. We actually are introduced to him first, and he's actually the character who changes the most. He's the one who has the greatest transformational change. Belle is already... We meet her, and she has all these good qualities. I can't really say that she learns her lesson so much as much as Beast does, And he's a really interesting part of this, too. So he's not just some piece of Prince eye candy like The Little Mermaid had the year prior. Not to knock that movie. That's a good movie, too.
2: Yeah, he's not exactly Prince Eric in his niceness or anything like that. It's interesting. His name its not in the movie, but it winds up being Prince Adam is what the Disney gave to him. Oh. He's an interesting character. And I always kind of commiserate because my wife initially wanted to have some theme of Beauty and the Beast for our wedding, and I rejected it because, by definition, I would have been the Beast, and that's not cool. (laughs) You know, she can be beauty, that's fine, beautiful. But, yeah. Yeah, the, the Beast is the temperamental, cranky guy who just wants to be left alone, and I commiserate with that, who kind of needs someone to soften his rough edges down and make him... Pause and think before he just yells at strangers or imprisons them. Not that I'm. Hey, if imprisoned. I get
1: candlestick hands, I'm actually down for this this idea. So I mean, uh, <laughs> Brian, do you want to dress as a giant clock? No, but I, it did make me think of. Uh, I would have called you Flave of Flav if you did. <laughs> no,
0: I uh, I was thinking about it, and I would say that Gaston is like the third best villain in this movie. Mm. Behind the, the sanitarium guy he's, crazy he's crazy. Crazy. So so I'm going to go Enchantress Sanitarium guy And then Gaston
1: Wait you mean you want to
0: like Destroy a whole family and her I'm in <laughs> <laughs> You're going to pay me to do something I would have done for free because I'm also evil Thank you <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a great little That's a great little part there I'm glad you picked up on that one too so in terms of the cast, and there's a lot of good voice work and some great singing work. Brian, what do you think about some of the vocal performances here?
0: Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, this is, this is a phenomenal musical. And I mean, just to speak to it, and, I, and I'll say it in my super, superlatives later, too. I mean, Beauty and the Beast is, I, it's not just an iconic song. I mean, it still gives me goosebumps. It's, it's easily in the Pantheon or uh, Mount Rushmore of Disney songs.
2: It's so interesting because every single line, and I didn't realize that this until we started studying for this episode, every line is five syllables. I'm just like, that is so hard to do and do well. They could have made it really corny, but they made an Oscar-winning song.
0: Oh, it's it's a wonderfully written song. I mean, just wonderfully written.
1: Yeah, almost the entire cast were Broadway- Uh, experienced stars. Most notably, Dame uh, Angela Lansbury and Jerry Orbach. So Disney intended it that way. They wanted to have that theatrical background and make a musical. If you want to win me over real fast, that's a fast way to do it.
2: Jerry Orbach's inclusion was interesting for me because I think of him from Law & Order. He was just this cranky police detective. And so seeing his name as Lumiere, it's like, oh, oh, it's that guy, that same guy that's been busting crimes and you just hear the law and order, data, sound. Right, so
0: like that literally, that was another thing that was going through my head during this is every time Lum- Lumiere was on the screen, I just wanted to go, dong, dong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Disney was originally going to bring back Jodie Benson who did the voice for Ariel in The Little Mermaid. I don't know what kind of upper echelon of Disney royalty princess that that would have made her, but they ended up saying that they needed somebody who sounded more European, meaning, I guess Jodie Benson didn't sound white enough, so they got, they went out and got Paige O'Hare, and I gotta say, she did a great job, but I just thought that was a funny comment of, not European enough.
2: Huh. What I read said that they wanted someone that sounded more like a woman than a girl, and they were comparing what they were looking for to Judy Garland, which, that's an odd person to cite, because I think of Judy Garland as Dorothy as a girl, not as necessarily a a full-grown woman. But yeah, yeah, Paige O'Hara definitely had a more, an older sound to Ariel's curiosity and mischievousness.
1: That's fair. That's fair. And I, uh, some fun notes on that is uh, she would flip her hair back during the actual recording, and the animators pick up on the personifications of the characters. If you look at Lumiere, he resembles Jerry Orbach, the actual person. Some of Belle's mannerisms, of like, the, again, the hairpiece that uh, falls in her face and she flips it back, that was something that she was doing in the studio. And so there, there are real features of the voice actors that were coming through with what they were drawing. That's super cool. Absolutely, yeah. Obviously, there's no facial face capturing that you do like you have today. But, I mean, I want to just take a second to really appreciate the craft that went into doing that. Now, one that was another consideration was Tim Curry was considered to be the voice of the Beast. And if you've followed the show for a few years, you're probably aware of Tim Curry is pretty popular on the show, I got to say. I don't know how he can sing, but I would like—I would like to see Tim Curry as the Beast.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm actually gonna pass on that one.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's too distinct, and the Beast doesn't really sing, so yeah, Tim Curry doesn't need to sing. It would just be his huh. voice. Yeah, I, I like Robbie Benson here.
1: Okay, and you know what? To make that voice, if you actually look up Robbie Benson, it, that voice comes out of a much younger smaller like slender man than you would ever expect like it sounds like it's coming out of a more mature man's voice but it's not yeah they
0: mixed it with a panther though (laughs) Uh, okay i was wondering because i was like does anybody else think that this guy sounds like Worf from star trek (laughs) yeah it
2: they pretty much made it unrecognizable by doing some audio mixing and a panther growling was included in it yeah I still think uh, Mr. Inigo Montoya himself, Mandy Patinkin, he was considered for a beast. That would have been a different
1: direction. Yeah, you know, fun
0: consideration. But only if you kill his father. Yes. Yeah. Well,
2: the original line that Gaston uttered to the beast at the castle was, prepare to die. So that would have been kind of fun if Mandy Patinkin was the beast.
1: Yes. Now, another fun alternative casting was Cogsworth was written specifically with John Cleese in mind and... I got to say, that also sounds pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, he went on to do Five Goes West instead.
1: Also
0: a good movie. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, I would I would accept that. <laughs> like, I don't think it needs to happen, but that's that's more acceptable than, than Curry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Any other casting comments you guys wanted to get into?
2: I, I actually have this problem, and I don't know why, because they're wildly different people. But Julie Andrews was considered for Mrs. Potts. And I confuse her and Angela Lansbury all the time. One sound of music, one's murder, she wrote. I don't know why I can't keep them straight. So this was unhelpful to me. It's like, oh, yeah, the same person was
1: considered. Well, you can combine the two. Murder, she wrote. Spoonful of sugar helps the medicine down. A spoonful of murder helps the medicine <laughs> go down. <laughs> so an interesting one is the character Chip was originally only gonna have one line but the producers like bradley pierce's voice and he's a super cute young guy like i mean he's like he talks like the character and uh, it was funny to see him in interview he's just like i just imagined what it was like to be the character and i just said the lines It's was just like <laughs> and that's adorable no wonder your role was expanded a hundredfold and so chip was barely even in it uh, there was a role for a music box uh, to do some of these things but uh Bradley Pierce stole the show. I, good on him, and uh, good call, too. When when you realize you got lightning in a bottle, you go with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Chip's adorable. Wow! I thought Chad was going to have some rebuttal on that one. Uh, you normally are hard on young actors.
2: He's not a small child messing things up. He's there for exposition, and he does it really cutely. So, good on Chip, good on child actor. Congratulations on not being the kid that screws things up.
1: Wow. Wow, this is this is <laughs> this is definitely high praise from, from Chad. So Chad, do you have anything about the production and the writing part of this?
2: Yeah, i I mean Don Hahn he just gets everything, man. He he does the Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, Hunchback, New Groove. He just gets handed the keys to the kingdom after this. It's just like you did Beauty and the Beast, go. <laughs> you know, do do whatever you need to. They rewrote quite a bit. We talked about them having troubles getting this movie made. 1989, they wound up throwing it out. They just said, start from scratch. Rewriting funny characters, making it more light and musical versus maybe a little bit darker. Adding more characters. There were only two main characters in the beginning. You know, making the inhabitants of the castle former servants instead of just enchanted objects all of these things just contributed to a more meaningful movie
1: yeah and the composer alan menken and howard ashman were very responsible for not pursuing a more faithful darker fairy like you know direct adaptation of the french fairy tale and to doing this which is more of a musical uh, approach and you know, normally I'd say, yeah, sure, go stick to the source material, but they, they exceeded it here. This is the highest form of it, to my knowledge. And in fairness, I haven't seen the also acclaimed 40s version that you did mention earlier, Chad. Uh, I am I am eager to go back and see that someday, because I actually just like the fairy tale of Beauty and the Beast. It's a cool story. Brian, do you have any thoughts on the making or the writing and how it came to be?
0: Uh, the songwriting in this is is part of the magic, I would say, the key, the biggest key piece to the magic in this uh, movie. So I have nothing but positive things to say about it. I, I don't think they could have done it any better.
1: One interesting thing that happened is this movie was previewed at the New York Film Festival in 91 as a work in progress. Disney had never done this before. 70% of the movie was animated in full color, and the other... 30% was just consisted of story real, really rough pencil sketches, not even shaded in, like kind of line work. And it hit so well with the audience, even then it received a standing ovation, which by the way, this is a hard to satisfy crowd. So even before it came out, they kind of knew they had something special at this point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Even the composer, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later, he knew that what he had was special, and he was, unfortunately, very, very ill during the production of this. But yeah, uh, when asked about the music, he said, we have something great.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, you're talking about Howard Ashman? Yes. Yeah, yeah, this is, uh, is this his final work, Chad?
2: Parts of his work get included in Aladdin. It was finished by someone else, but yes, he he passed away eight months before Beauty and the Beast was actually released.
1: Mm. yeah that's uh it's, it's a heck of a way to go out you got you got some of the greatest work in your career there at the end there so too bad that he wasn't around to get to see the full enjoyment of it so also yeah. aladdin's pretty awesome too so whatever he gave to that thank you for that too
2: yeah yeah he did a ton there's a great documentary on disney plus it's just called howard check it out he's he's a very special talented individual
1: yeah, if I'm not mistaken, not only did he do the lyrics, but, uh, you know, also as a, you know, producer of those, like, he came up with the idea of turning the staff into the enchanted objects and into the living creatures with all those unique personalities. To Brian's point, this is what they do so well. Disney makes nice little companion characters that never feel tacked on, and they feel like they're an integrated part of it. They're memorable characters that you like. And they can be talking animals like Flounder and Sebastian. They can be enchanted elements like like Cogsworth and like Lumiere are in this, and and Mrs. Potts. And they can just be other jungle animals like Timon and Pumbaa. But I mean, it's or they could be even inanimate objects like a flying carpet. But they just have an amazing ability to keep coming up with all these wonderful characters. And this is no doubt another iteration of, as Brian put out, Disney doing what Disney does. These are wonderful inventions that Ashman helped get into the movie. Yeah,
2: yeah, he was definitely responsible for a lot We look at the the director I look at Gary Trousdale and Kirk Wise Disney does this with a lot of their movies They take their artists who work on stories They take their writers and they promote them They let them be producers, directors, things like that Gary Trousdale had worked on stories He was a writer for Little Mermaid and Oliver and Company Beauty and the Beast was his first job so he hits it pretty big, but then I feel bad for him. I, it starts going downhill from there. He gets Hunchback, which I still think is a good movie. Then it's Atlantis. Then it's like a Madagascar Christmas special. And then. Ouch. Oh, then they send Rip TV. It gets worse <laughs> Shrek, The Halls, and Scared Shrek.
1: <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he, they he gets get, back to he get he does get back to the big screen with 2014's Rocky and Bullwinkle. But you're right, he uh, he falls out fast. I, Hunchback did not was not well received, and he didn't do another movie for another five years. So and Kirk Wise, to your point, rides all of that roller coaster with him at least in the beginning with Hunchback and Atlantis as well. So, yeah. but he does go on to do Spirited Away, which I've not seen, but I hear good things about.
2: But then 18 years later, Bobbleheads, the movie. So yeah. <laughs> not getting enough credit for directing masterpieces in, in the 90s
1: yeah so am I wrong in saying Howard Ashman's probably the big ingredient here and these young unexperienced directors who kind of don't recapture the magic again Is do we want to attribute more of this to ha- Ashman?
2: I think so yeah I mean these people what they're doing like I said they're being brought up from storyboard artists, writers, things like that rather than you know you're bringing in the Spielbergs or you're bringing in uh, the Camerons things like that you are just bringing people without the experience and so they're relying on seeing it done before and kind of flying by the seat of their pants and it just takes a very very talented crew to make that work and they did this all on a short schedule so I will give everyone involved in this usually Disney cycles are four years this was two years So this and the Lion King, the Lion King had so much issues getting it storyboarded and drawn and animated, particularly that stampede sequence, that uh, what they accomplished in two years is incredible.
1: Yeah. Now, Brian, do you like the world that they establish here that in terms of the French setting and the castle that they're drawing and the provincial town, like, do you like the locations and the sets that they're building?
0: I think that, well, yes. Uh, early answer is yes. I do want to give kudos to the live action for kind of filling in some, some question marks. Again, this is stuff that adults, you know, come up with. It's nothing that a nine year old boy would have said, Hey, how come they don't know this giant castles out there in the scary woods? (laughs) Like, so I, I, I do give kudos that they did fill some of those holes in with the, uh, with the live action. But I mean, you know, it's trying to go from a, from a child, child's perspective. I mean, this is, this is exactly it. It's the bright and sunny town where everyone lives. And then, you know, dad gets lost in the scary woods that happens to have this, you know, enormous, seemingly somewhat abandoned castle, you know, you don't know. And then that's where this beast lives. So, I mean, they did paint a very vivid picture of light to darkness and, and that's what, you know, that's what kids are getting out of this. That's that's what their minds are processing. So, yes, I think they did a good job.
1: Yeah. And, and, and not to turn it into a live action discussion, I, I they added some nice musical numbers and there was some allusion to what happened to Belle's mother and that. And I, I think that for anybody who's seen the original animated movie, which I should totally say you should do first, you're right. Uh, there's a nice little sense of like when you buy like a greatest hits album, sometimes the artist will put one or two new tracks on there to kind of incentivize you to buy an otherwise compilation of songs that you probably already have. Credit to Disney for doing that. I think they've probably been hitting us over the head too hard with live action remakes, but I think Beauty Agreed. and the Beast one was done well, and they gave you enough new, and to see some of those characters brought to human life was worth it. So I, I'm, I'm with you, Brian. I think nice nice way of just a little more. and But, I mean, this, this is a tight movie. They do not drag their heels. They're in and they're out. And I don't know if that's for children's attention spans, but, I mean, even with music, the whole thing is not... It's, this isn't a long movie.
2: Well, I will say with the song Human again, that was released in one of the special editions for the animated. It was a cut song from the original Beauty and the Beast, and it does wind up on a special edition prior to the live action. But, yeah, they did add one additional song to the live action that wasn't present
1: in the originals. I did not realize that that was originally cut there, so that's an interesting add there.
2: I thought you'd be all about the set design and the location. Man, the the castle has so many neat touches. The paintings on the wall, the Rembrandt's and Goyas that aren't finished, all the little grotesques, the gargoyles and things like that. Their statue and then statues, their early designs of the beast. It's got so much going on that you can just miss the first time around. This is what Disney artists do. They put just magical touches that you may not even notice. As certainly as a kid, you're not appreciating. There's mouse ears in the background when the snow melts, things like that. They just have fun with it.
1: Yeah, I, I got to hand them credit. From the moment you meet the provincial town that they're in, which is, does it have a name? It does not. I just like this generic provincial town that they're in. It's very rich. Uh, to Chad's point, you notice all these little things, and there each time that you see it. I love the scary woods in between the castle and the town. It's actually quite scary. And I remember kind of being scared with the wolves in the woods. You know, I, I, I as a kid, I had the appropriate amount of... Being scared, and I don't think movies today are—I should say—too often they're they're afraid to challenge kids. Kids like to be scared; they just want to know that it comes out okay. And I I give this movie credit for giving that sense of adventure from the 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 threat being real, and the atmosphere is great there. And to Chad's point, the castles, cool—they kind of blend gothic influences, very French, with you know the baroque era as well once you get inside but it's interesting how the castle has these two characters very dark and threatening but then also once the staff comes to life and once their love is kindled it actually turns into this quite charming place and you start to see the warmth in it so the atmosphere reflects the tone of their relationship and that's really cool and that's something that really only I think you can effectively do to this degree in an animated movie so to your point that's just even better on the animators yeah
2: they had to have fun. There was so much. The garden scene with the stars, it's stunning.
1: Yeah. Did you like the stained glass uh, introduction? Like, we they just hit you over the head real fast with some exposition. They don't show you the background story. Brian, did you like the stained glass intro with the uh, fun instrumental music? I shouldn't say fun. Yes.
0: And, and uh, I like that as a tool. I think that's a really inventive way to introduce kind of the, the, the pre-story on this. I've seen other shows and uh, movies that do somewhat similar stuff, and I'm always just really impressed by how they come up with certain things. Another thing, it doesn't give you any story. and There's no story basis to it. But, like, if you get a chance, watch the, the intro to the show Black Sails. It's another thing that's just like, wow, that is the visually interesting way to, you know, I, I don't want to say game of Thrones kicked it off. We're having these big visuals, uh, that pertain to the show in their, their entry music, but it is something that I enjoy seeing done. And this is definitely up that alley.
2: Definitely. Yeah. This, this was used as a device again to make this seem like a book. It's a once upon a time story opening and we are just focused on books. They keep reappearing. We have the Beast library. We have Belle introduced with her nose in a book and an entire song about it. So this is just one more touch to reinforce, hey, we're telling you something from a storybook.
1: So as we look into the character design or the animation in this, it's really cool how they kind of created Beast. They created him out of a hybrid of other, so Glenn Keane, the supervising animator on Beast, created his own hybrid of very Earth-like animals. He wanted it to feel like it was something of this Earth, but also something you haven't seen before. So he took influences from lions with the mane on Beast. He took buffalo t- uh, horns and tusks, uh, of two, and the nose is like off of a boar. And uh, there were heavily muscled brows of a gorilla and legs of a tail of a wolf. And I just was and the bulky body of a bear. It's just one of those interesting things where an artist can take all of these things, not just one or two of these things. This is like Greek mythology. If you get into it, like, you know, like a centaur or like a griffin, it's really cool to see that he created something that hasn't been created before. And you're right. It does feel like this is believable. This this could be a creature, but it also has a sense of awe to it. So major applause because he did exactly what he set out to do.
0: It was the first sighting of (laughs) man-bear-pig. Half-man, half-bear, half-pig. Excelsior!
1: (laughs) Yes. Chatter, are there there any character design elements that really jump out at you?
2: Everything, really. Belle's gown is iconic, the yellow dress. But even her apron, it's meant to conjure up images of Dorothy. Uh, You talked about Beast, the uniform's great, but the stuff like the tassels on the dog ottoman or Mrs. Potts' hat. Maurice's socks are mismatched. It's kind of to show his eccentricity. There's so much cool design. We've talked about Belle being hazel-eyed or brown-haired and the first there. Yeah, they they did a lot of just Disney touches to this.
1: Yeah, they really did. Brian, any of those like characteristic things that you... We're really relishing, and there's so many details to appreciate.
0: Uh, I would say that uh, going back to Chad's point about all the stuff going on in the castle, I don't think I ever really gave it an appropriate appraisal during early watches. Now, I, this is the first time I'm getting back to it in a while, but after I watched that uh, do- uh, YouTube documentary, you know, I really uh, went out to focus on, you know, really absorbing castle and the other thing i'll say on this is i even enjoyed reading the comments on inaccuracies based on location and time frame like whether someone's wearing trousers or not or something like that not because i like seeing you know oh look they messed up here because i like knowing the history on on what and why. So I even enjoyed going through and just being like, Hey, baguettes weren't around back then, or it's in the wrong location for th- that type of bread or something like that. I find that kind of thing, uh, that kind of thing fascinating to the point where I want ma- movies to make those kinds of mistakes. Cause I learn more.
1: Suck. No baguettes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Marisa's socks are mismatched and, uh, his wild and eccentric hair and his glasses and the fact that he puts a barrel on and then has cartoon like Looney Tune, like underwear. I, I do like how they're obviously they're serious characters of Beauty and the Beast are serious, but I like how the whimsy comes around them and, uh, it makes it enjoyable and rich on Pawn Returns. And, uh, I also forgot to mention, I like how Beast's eyes are The thing that don't change into him, whether like, you know, those blue eyes are in the portrait that's all torn up, and then those, those still remain in beast form. So there's some little piece of recognition in him. So a lot of good, a lot of great details here.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. Absolutely.
1: Brian, is there anything in terms of the animation of how it got made that you want to call out in terms of maybe special effects and these kinds of things?
0: Just hats off to the people who have the patience for this sort of thing. I. It, it astounds me, you know, you think about how many different drawings these folks make uh, then you know, just to do it over again with, you know, less sketch, more defined lines, the coloring. I mean, this is so much work goes into this. And if we didn't have people who are able to do that, you know, who have that kind of fortitude to really, you know, in, in enjoyment of it, it seems like horribly tedious work to me. And I just hats off to them for being able to do
1: it. It's an interesting time for movies. We're kind of at the apex of doing it by hand. Disney had had almost a century built up of techniques that they've gotten better and better at. And also you're at the dawn of this new one of the computer coming in. And this movie is not very computer driven. The only time that they really use it in this is to do the ballroom scene, which does have some amazing uh, sweeps and whatnot. So it, you start to see some moments of technology entering the creation process, and uh, it's an interesting, pivotal time. Obviously, most animated movies are purely computer-generated now, and I feel like they're going to get better and growing with time too, but it's nice to see this is kind of the culmination of an entire era of a way of making movies, and it's it's, it's a beautiful movie for that reason.
2: Yeah, 43 animators worked on this, so kudos to them. There were some interesting. Because of time constraints, like the ballroom dance part was a retrace of Cinderella's dance with the prince. And, like, the transformational smoke for the beast was a recall of the black cauldron. They used the smoke from the black cauldron and just put it in this movie. They were out of time, and. Basically said, hey, this is really hard to do. We're just going to do it this way. It's easier.
1: It worked well. I didn't I didn't see the smoke and go like, that's Black Cauldron smoke. <laughs> I think enough <laughs>
2: people aren't familiar with Black Cauldron that they were
1: pretty safe. I would like to go back and do that one again, actually. I liked that as a kid. Yeah. Now, I, we should have blocked out more time for this one, but let's talk about some of the songs on here. Uh, Brian, what do you think about Belle, the opening number, Funny Girl?
0: I mean, not to get into like a, a ranking kind of thing. I would say that that's probably my second or third favorite song in the uh, on the uh, or in the movie. Really, you know, there are songs that are made to kind of elicit humor, and then there are songs that are you know the ones that really touch your heart. This is probably somewhere in between uh, those two places, and I, that's not to call it filler or anything like that. Just that. I, you know, I, th- I think every Disney movie has that one song, and then occasionally there are ones that have, like, two songs that are really, really strong. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's up there, but it's not, like, my, you know, favorite.
1: Oh, I, I really like this one because it's the first vocalized number, in it, and they tell you so much about Belle in such a short period of time up front. And to Ashman's credit, these lyrics convey a lot of plot in the in the actual songs. And uh, they move things along, but give you interesting as well as detailed pieces of information. And I think Belle uh, is one of the best songs that does that. I don't know about... Chad, uh, any thoughts from you?
2: Yeah, it's a very expository song, and it's been stuck in my head all week. But this entire musical, I, I think of Nightmare Before Christmas. I love some of the songs, but there are some that just don't hit for me. And That may be blasphemy to some, but every single song in this movie lands for me i love gaston's song i love Yeah, you
1: mentioned that one earlier what is it uh brian said he wasn't as big on this one tell us what you liked about that one
2: it's just so bombastic and the hunting lodge is a great scenic location for it i love his lines of he's roughly the size of a barge and it's just this tavern drinking song it's awesome and it's the exact song someone as vain as him would sing of hey now i eat five dozen eggs and <laughs> I, i'm just the best person ever and you've got they're actually called the bimbets in the background just swooning over him. and lefou is just trying to cheer up his buddy who's clearly the only way to cheer him up is to hold a mirror up to him so
1: they make this number bigger on the Broadway performance. They, 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 they expand it and even enjoy it more and it's such a big it's funny like like you said, like whether it be uh, like antlers and all my decorating or every last inch of me is covered with hair isn't that awesome And so yes. I mean I just I, I think it's a very funny song. Brian, uh, what, what's, what's one of the songs that that stuck out most to you like which ones are like, man, I really did like this one?
0: I mean, you know, we've already talked about "Beauty and the Beast" uh, as as a track
1: performed by Angela Lansbury herself.
0: It is. I mean, it's just, it's it's such a beautiful song. Like it's, you know, it's
1: it's the song. Have you listened to the Celine I, Dion version of this? That was uh, the pop version that they released for the radio and whatnot.
0: No, I think I
1: would hate that out of hand. I, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not like. Everything you just
0: said right there, like my body shunned away from. So it is good. I'll I'll give it that. It is good. Yeah. But the Angela Lansbury didn't want to
2: sing that song. She actually, she asked for someone else to do it. She didn't think Mrs. Potts should sing it. And Disney does this. You'll see it in Aladdin with the genie uh, in Robin Williams. And that didn't end well, but they'll tell someone something. They'll be like, well, why don't you just record it as a backup? You know, we won't use it. We'll we'll get someone else. And so they only did one take of it with Angela Lansbury, and that's what they used.
1: It's impressive. I mean,
0: it's, it's so wonderfully done and wonderfully sang, and from the character of Mrs. Potts. And knowing Angela Lansbury, you know, like you, you've, I'm sure you've watched a murder she wrote at some point in time, but that motherly way that she has about her to sing that, you know, presumably because she's been caring for this beast, uh, but, but caring for this guy for his entire life. And I think that she holds the wish for him that, you know, that love is a possibility for him. And that's what the song conveys. That's the warmth that comes out of her seeing it. Could someone sing it? you know, with a, you know, really stunning voice and you know, not to say Lansbury's isn't just, I'm saying, could you get somebody else? Absolutely. Might there be someone who, you know, does a, you know, uh, I'm blanking on the chick's name from frozen, but you know, has a, has a voice that scale. Sure. But it didn't need that. It needed the warmth. It needed that, that wish that love is possible.
2: Adina Menzel. Yeah.
1: yeah. No one uh, Chad has mentioned before. Like uh, here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. uh, You know, and the graduate is something that uh, with the last name Robinson that uh, people like to kind of like you know make that connection with. Funny thing is, with the last name of Guest, which is an odd name, I I will totally agree. (laughs) People love to do be our guest, uh, be my guest. uh, Which uh, this movie undoubtedly connects to so many people, and I can see that because they like to say that with be be our guest. But uh, I do like that song. It's 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 actually, despite the, uh, you might think I might not, but I, I do like it. And it was actually going to be originally sung to Maurice's character, not to Belle. And I'm glad they changed that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, me too. That would have been, it, it's better to cheer up Belle. I like the Mob song. And I really think we see a lot of it carried over into Scar's song, uh, Be Prepared. It is good. Because you see yeah, these. Yeah, I agree this darkness and this fire and the marching and the rhythm to it of kill the beast and be prepared. You get that influence, and I I like these villainous marching songs.
1: You know which one just felt good? Obviously, Beauty and the Beast, it does stand out above. The the rest of them, Like I'll agree with Brian on that one, but why I didn't see it before is uh, why I didn't see it there before. Something there. Yes. Yeah, there must be something, something. there. Yeah. Yes. That, um... That one's just very sweet and genuine. And like I said, uh, if that doesn't warm your heart more as an adult, then, you know, I mean, I think I appreciate that one more today than I did then.
2: Well, the animation during that, when they're out playing in the snow and just having fun, and even you see Cogsworth and Lumiere watching from the window with Mrs. Potts. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's whimsical.
1: And the score, too. The music that goes with those lyrics, we're talking about the vocals, but I just want to hand it to them. Even from the very get go with those stained glass windows, they set the mood. It, it, every time it, it brings in the brightness, the happiness, the, the sentimentality, the sadness. And they make you take the emotional roller coaster to, to a 10 every step of the way with the orchestration of it as well. Agreed. You guys ready to hand out some awards? Absolutely. Let's do it. Brian, who's your MVP?
0: Uh, my MVP for this is the songwriters. Um, absolutely gorgeous music. I wouldn't have done anything differently. So
1: Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. Yep.
2: Yeah that's, yeah, that's my choice as well. They take a great movie and make it legendary. I, I looked it up. There's only five minutes in this movie that doesn't have any music going on whatsoever. And especially Howard Ashman... Turning the enchanted objects into living creatures with personalities, man, they—they're my MVP as well.
1: Yeah, and I'm gonna make it a straight flush on this one. It's uh, Alan Mankin and Howard Ashman, particularly Howard Ashman, uh, on this one. So great choices, best supporting, Brian. Uh,
0: I'm going to go with uh, Jerry Orbach here. I think Lumiere really makes this movie. Uh, He's a key piece. He's a non-main character key piece. Uh,
1: Chad? Uh, Great pick, by the way. Yes. Um, Chad, who's your best supporting?
2: Richard White's Gaston. He's my most entertaining character, and I just love scenes with his ridiculous vanity.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, somehow I... I hate Gaston so much, uh, and uh, I've told Chad this before, but I have this connection to Tom Brady as in Gaston's character, <laughs> of, like this character that everybody seems That's to awesome. love, and he's this handsome guy, and I just hate him. And somehow I wish you could <laughs> rewrite uh, this song for Gaston to Tom Brady. The, the syllables don't work out very well, but uh, I, I, I see Gaston and I think Tom Brady. <laughs>
2: he's got the best lines. The most beautiful girl in town—that makes her the best—and don't I deserve the best?
1: Yes, yeah. So instead Excellent. of slamming some raw fish down with his muddy boots, uh, it's it's his seven Super Bowl rings and his cleats. <laughs> so, um, I bet he does
2: sing that to Giselle every night. No one gets touchdowns like Tom. no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So my best supporting, I'm going to go with Brian on this one. Uh, I'm going to go with Jerry Orbach as well. The French accent, the the transformational character, it's just great voice work here. Love it. The personalities that come through with the actual animations is all the better. So Jerry Orbach gets it for me. Hidden gem, Brian.
0: My hidden gem on this is uh, most of the voice actors that did uh, primary parts in this movie um, are all over my childhood favorite cartoons. So I was going through each one individually, and I saw accolades for Gargoyles, Darkwing Duck, G.I. Joe. I even realized that the guy who does the voice of LeFou is the cop in the diner in Gone in 60 Seconds, where he goes, uh, tell Cas- Detective Castlebeck he won't believe who just walked in. And I was like, Huh. that's a thing.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. So uh, So very spread out over all the creators then. Yes. Yeah. All right. And, uh, Chad, how about you? Who's your hidden Jim? We talked about my guy briefly, but Tony J's
2: Monsieur Dark. He's the asylum warden and he's just sinister. And the way he delivers the line, I love it to Gaston's plan is
1: fantastic. That's a great pick there. I actually expected Brian to go that route.
0: <laughs> I wonder if the, the, the guild of, uh, sanitarium, directors were obsessed. like why are we always the bad guy <laughs> i want to help people
1: and uh so my hidden gem is going to be the trio of blonde women swooning over gaston the throughout bimbets. the movie yeah the, the bimbets as they're credited as being they are hilarious uh you know they're vapid airheaded blonde women who are just uh just kind of don't have much going on upstairs and they all are swooning over him just like what's wrong with her he's gorgeous and i thought they were so funny so they they made me laugh recast brian
0: i really wanted to like cop out on this one and say nothing but instead of that i want to say i want an ad cast not a recast i would have liked to have heard maybe the voice of patrick stewart being uh mrs potts's husband and maybe he could be like a beer stein
1: mr potts nice i like it yeah you
0: can't go wrong with patrick stewart
1: yeah i'm for it right
0: i mean just you know another british voice actress to go side by side with her makes her not a single mom i don't know and then you know a teapot and a a beer stein i I just i was tinkering with it you know while we were talking and i was like ah that'd be cute it's not a disney movie
2: if everyone is isn't missing at least one parent
0: that's true (laughs) that's true precast chat
2: yeah, I wanted to push as well. I guess if I have to, knowing John Cleese was up for Cogsworth, I can't just not pick John Cleese. So bring him in.
1: Wow, you stole mine. I I, I had a very hard time and I do not want to take anything away from David Ogden's Stiers. But yes, right? when you say John Cleese, I just think so highly of him, I was like, Hmm, well, I can't say no to John Cleese on that <laughs> one. So Best shot, Brian.
0: I, this is going to just be a, a cascade of uh, Beauty and the Beast pieces. Best shot for me was the staircase as they're coming down, her in the gold dress, and then Lansbury starts the song. I think that's that's probably the most iconic shot for me. Great mm-hmm. choice. Yeah. Chad?
2: Kind of similar, but the ballroom dance, it starts from the vaulted ceiling and it spins all the way down to just give you this wide, I'd say wide shot, but there's no camera. But this wide-angle view of the ballroom and the characters involved dancing, it's gorgeous.
1: Yep, that's mine as well. And they had to do this with computers for the first time, and they were breaking new grounds. Actually, they had done some of this on the Rescuers Down Under, but they were this is the second time they're using it, and they're definitely elevating it to a new level, and clearly it got more impact out of it. I don't know how many people... I cherish the rescuers down under no knock to that movie, but this is, this is in a magical Disney moment. So you really feel like you're in the space and it's really good animation work here. So uh, just rotating down from that vaulted ceiling through the chandelier, sweeping around them. They, they said that they couldn't really do that with uh, conventional drawing. You can zoom, you can pan. They have like these glass plates they can push up and down. They can do so many things, but that sweeping feel it's not something they had the confidence in being able to do without taking it to the computers. And so they're breaking new grounds in doing it this way. And I just want to point out, so you get, like, I'm with Chad 100%, but I also want to give it a lot of credit for its technical achievement at this point in time.
2: Mm, see, I thought for sure you'd choose an architecture shot. There were some great shots as their bells being led to a room the first time. You really zoom out on the castle and see a lot.
1: Yes. I mean, there, there's a lot of great choices. I like the canyon when Gaston falls into it as well. Oh. That, that elongated perspective of, you know, again, very fantasy-like and stuff. And I, it's hard to pick just one, but the, the woods were truly great, I got to say. Best scene, Brian best scene for me is going to
0: be the, the the panning around them as they're dancing uh in the you know, beauty and the beast sequence sorry i told you i was going to be harping on this a lot this movie no
2: that's that's a fantastic scene and it's moving i mean I, I think part of the issue with me growing up and i think we've all addressed this we were all guys that were trying not to feel and it's just like yeah this is a girl's movie but it's a sweet moving scene
1: you know, you don't go back to the playground the next day and say, like, you know, it was really awesome. But, I mean, it's undeniably good. It's one of those things where, yeah, you know, I'm. it's just it's, – it's got all the feels. And, you know, you, you're not human if you don't like it. So I, I don't think <laughs> – I don't think you have to cash in too many guy points to say that, no, it's good.
0: It's also happy feels. You know what I mean? Like – I oh, yeah. I talk to so many people that are like oh I love this book it it hit me right in the feels you know they both die at the end and it's beautiful and <laughs> da, da. I'm like all right no that's depressing like I'll I'll take the feels just make them happy feels you know it doesn't have to be sorrow you know Oh, it's beautiful because they're all dead. No, <laughs> like, I want my Disney made me want my happy after after. I'm not gonna be ashamed of it, but I do. I I do hear that uh, Bill Burr stand up in the back of my head where it's like, it's why women or men die uh, sooner than women. It's from pushing down all those urges to like hug a puppy, <laughs> like Beauty and the Beast and stuff like that. It's
1: like well, we're just not allowed, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good coming from him too. <laughs> Um, Chad, was this your best scene
2: as well? You know what? I tried really, really hard not to pick a certain scene. I tried to find something with Gaston and just not be me. It's probably still reverting back to this lizard brain, male, male brain that I have. But how do you not pick be our guest? To me, it's just, it's pure Disney magic. It's conjuring up the best of Fantasia. It's this fever dream of wonder. And I just lose myself in it. And I I tried. I can't. It's Be Our Guest.
1: No, it's a great choice. And honestly, I would say on the Broadway performance, the spectacle of this one is at its greatest. The sincerity, to Brian's point, is there during the dancing scene. But uh, on, on Broadway, when you leave, like this is the number that like you really recall. So your choice of that is not as crazy as it sounds by any means. So it's a good one. It's a spectacle. So... My, I'm going to go with a different one, just for variety's sake, because uh, I think I'm kind of in Bryant's camp, but just I'm going to give a nod to the fight between Beast and Gaston as the townspeople are rioting in there at the same time. It, it's a whole lot of fun. It's a really good climax of the movie. I, I like how when Belle comes back, that that's the power that Beast needs to, because he doesn't see any point in going on. It's okay if you tear me down and hang me and stuff me on your wall, because what have I got to go on for? And when she comes back, her returning is what motivates him to fight and to, uh, you know, stand his ground. And, you know, Gaston, you know, slips off. And I think it was interesting that, you know, Gaston was actually going to be saying it's time to die in there. But they 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 backed off of that uh, being too strong for uh, for Disney and they, uh, they they softened it still even disnifying it, it's still an exciting climax. Yeah, he's screaming, "Bell will be mine!" Yes, yeah, and I like the fact that Gaston's fighting dirty. He's been defeated, and the Beast has shown him mercy, and then he's you know, and then he he takes the underhanded, like I'm gonna hit you when you're not expecting it, kind of thing. So, Brian, best wardrobe, makeup, and this could kind of be an animation moment or character design moment. So we're gonna alter that for that. I mean, it's got to be,
0: I mean, if you're going to go with wardrobe, it's got to be Belle's dress, the yellow one specifically. But like to Chad's point, you know, her her normal garb to start the movie is, you know, is Belle. I mean, you have the, the Princess Belle look too, but uh, it's fairly uh, definitive in terms of uh, her various looks.
2: I'm getting flashbacks to our How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days episode where where I wound up picking the yellow dress scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: Brian, or sorry, uh, Chad Chad has a thing for yellow dresses. Yeah,
2: yeah. Uh, I mean, it looks great on Kate Hudson. looks great here, too. But for me, it's, I still chuckle every time they're trying to dress up the Beast for his date, and he has ribbons in his mane. <laughs> it makes me laugh, and it shakes out his fur, and it poofs out, like... You know, when I bathe our cats unwisely. But it's just great. And it's another fun Disney moment.
1: Yeah, I had a two-horse race between Lumiere and Clocksworth, but just the personification of a clock at uh, Cogsworth is gives me this one. The hands make a mustache, his door... Uh, I like it when he, you know, Maurice comes in and starts tinkering around with him. And, you know, he feels like he's being violated and like having a shirt lifted up. And he's like, you know, I I just I really liked the personification of so many of the characters. But I think Cogsworth is probably the best of them.
2: Mm. Yeah, he's great, too. I do like Lumiere constantly putting his hands out, like the fire, uh, having to get that out.
1: He was great, too. And that was my other consideration. Yes, they do a lot of fun things with uh, with you know, a character that has no feet and uh, <laughs> he has these candelabras for his hands and whatnot. So two horse race for me on those ones. Change one thing, Brian. I mean, what what can you
0: really change in this? I mean, what what is really something that you can point out and say, oh, it'd be worth it to, to redo this. If there are actually uh, songs or any, even if it's rough animation chunks that they took out of this movie, I would happily watch those uh you know spliced in so you know i would say the only the only crime is maybe leaving out something that would have been
1: worth leaving in
2: Mm. okay special edition for you yes
1: (laughs) chad change one thing we talked about it
2: there's that weird issue with the timing they don't need to comment on the number of years. They say it's something like ten, or the twenty-first birthday. Take out the twenty-first birthday because it does create the adult issue of wait a minute, he got cursed having no parents and he was eleven, so just this isn't out. fair.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I agree. That that was probably mine too. But uh, just for variety's sake, I'm gonna say French it up a little bit. Now, they did a great job with the atmosphere that they made, but am I correct in saying only Lumiere displays a French accent, right? Wouldn't it be nice if Gaston also had a dripping, obnoxious French accent to go with it too?
2: So you want a little more Ratatouille in your movie?
1: Yeah, yeah, just just French it up a little bit more. You know, Cogsworth is actually British, and I'm okay with having somebody British in the house, and that's that's okay, so is Mrs. Potts, but uh, this movie's actually a little more British in terms of the voice work than it is French, so... I don't want Lumiere to be the only one with a French accent. Uh, some of the people in town should probably have a little bit more of it. And I don't just mean saying bonjour. So I just want you know, give me some French accents. I, all these awesome, talented voice actors, I am positive are capable of doing it. Well, that's fair. Best quote, Brian,
0: I've got, I've got to go with uh Cogsworth on this one, uh, with the, uh, what should I get her? Oh, there's the usual things: flowers, chocolates, promises you don't intend to keep. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, that was a fun. Uh, that was a fun ad lib from David Ogden Stiers. That one wasn't scripted, so uh, it was just going to be chocolates and flowers. So, uh, <laughs> worthy ad. Good choice there, Chad. Best quote. La fou. I'm afraid I've been thinking. A dangerous pastime. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that. That is uh definitely uh, well you guys took my one and my two. I I uh <laughs> I normally come prepared with a backup just in case and you guys have uh snatched them both up so I'm I'm caught a little off guard. Chad, do you have a runner up for me?
2: I Chip when he's asking Mrs. Potts he's like what what's there? When he's asking something there that wasn't there
1: before, and she's just like, oh, nothing.
0: nothing. I'll tell you when you're older, dear.
1: Yes. Oh, that, that is a good one. Yeah, it's thank you. It's just
2: sweet that he doesn't understand anything.
1: Oh, the mortician. Oh, sorry, not the mortician. The, I, I, you know, just for variety's sake, I will, I will go ahead and give another nod to the sanitarium yes. guys as well. Like, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so evil. Yes. All right. It's the climax here. We're coming to the end on a five-star scale. What would you rate 1991's Beauty and the Beast, Brian?
0: I gave it a full five.
1: Wow. All right. All right. Now, Chad, this is the question. Will you be allowed back in your household this evening? <laughs> <laughs> do you, on a five-star scale, what do you give Beauty and the Beast?
2: Yeah, I'm not saying this just because my wife is standing over me giving me a look. <laughs> five stars yeah it's
0: a it's a top five it's a tan it's a tan (laughs) (laughs) love the reference tan
2: yeah top five all time in the animated category for me love it
1: great choice and uh i'm gonna this hasn't happened too often in the show's history so uh this is entering a a very elite couple of movies this is gonna get a five star for me as well clean sweep yes I I've
0: got to admit I just want to admit something real quick that I almost wish one of us had hated this movie because I want to hear someone try to bash this movie.
2: Oh, they go! Like, into I this, feel like they're the Stockholm they're syndrome s- stuff.
0: I guess I just I feel like you know all joking about the enchantress you know aside, like this is almost a perfect movie. It's it's just such a beautiful film, and to have any real. I just, I'd have a hard time. You'd have to really convince me of any real criticism for it.
1: The only way that I could see someone coming and saying mean things about this are if they put on their alpha male macho pants and are like, oh, this is a girls movie and, oh, i got to go watch Die Hard and get a palate cleanser off of this. So that's (laughs) that's the only way I could see someone coming away with, yeah.
0: But even if you came with that, that's not saying anything negative about the movie. You can like, I if someone said this is just not my thing, I don't enjoy these things. That's fine because you're not really assailing the movie. I'm saying if someone actually had a bone to pick with this film, like I just don't think it's there. <laughs> so I, I'm just, I would love to see someone like kind of can try to contrive reasons to slam this movie because. You know it, it is one of those things that that you know when you say you know this you know alpha male or, or male uh, I, you know, idea that you can't like things like this or something like that, it, it it's it's so hard to even you know try to go that route because it's such a lovely film.
1: Yeah, I think you're just being obstinate. It's like point. kicking
0: a dog. you know it's like kicking a dog. It's just wrong
1: yeah and even 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 after you do say that like it's it's kind of like the kind of it's kind of like I, i'm imagining like this ultra tough guy's like oh i hate the spice girls and then he gets in the car rolls up the windows and then it's in traffic going like
0: tell me what i want, what I really, really want. <laughs> yeah, yeah
1: yeah exactly it's one of those things where you lie about it and then you, and then you go back home and you watch it again like it is a pretty good movie but i can't tell anybody
2: <laughs> it was a bold jump from beauty and the beast to spice girls. Like,
0: well, it, but it's, it's something that's clearly marketed for a, a different, you know, not something that, that you can, can cop to liking. Now. I don't think that this falls into that. This is my point though. I mean, this is just a, a wonderful movie, but I, I see what Russell's pointed.
2: Yeah. I'm just afraid to name a guilty pleasure. And both of you be like, Oh, Oh no. <laughs> Can't back you up. Hey, there.
0: I, I think I've already admitted to liking pitch perfect. So I, I like that like too. There yeah. th- things are out there.
1: Yeah. 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 I think, uh, I think I have also, I think on our guilty pleasures episode, I, I, I admitted to, I, I did like the princess, uh, princess diaries. So mm.
2: yeah.
1: yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah. So, so the other thing I wanted to say is we didn't mention this. It plays really well at the kids level. It, if a teenager sits down and gives it their time, they're going to be won over by this. It's going to play well for parents. It's going to play well for middle-aged people. It's going to play well for old people. It, it hits all of the generations in a way that not many movies can do. So you're entering that, like, Wizard of Oz upper echelon of, like, movies that have what I call universal appeal. Again, only tough guy at the gym who's just like, i got to go bench press some iron after watching this. <laughs> um, this is the only people who aren't going to be happy. Well, it changed
2: the structure. Gaston
1: was right. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> it changed the structure of the Academy Awards. The Academy Awards was like, this movie's a problem. It's so good. We've got to create an, an, a new category. Because if Disney keeps doing this, we don't want it to win Best Picture. The, the only other yeah. animated movie that winds up nominated for Best Picture is up in 2010. But until... They created best animated feature because of this movie,
1: and they expanded the best picture category by that point. So that's even more impressive at this point. Because at this point, correct me if I'm wrong, you only get five entries. Yes. For that yep. yeah, so all the more impressive, and also a little bit snotty on the Academy's part to say that you know, you know, I get it. You don't have real life actors emoting and all that stuff, but. Uh, I, it's kind of funny to say that we're going to give them their own little category. That's theirs. And it can't, it can't transcend other than music and animation. So it's kind of interesting how they gave them their own. I, I will not say, I won't say kid's table. It's still an Oscar, but it, it like to your point, Chad, it kind of alleviated their conflict of like, but this is a cartoon.
2: Yeah. I mean, it got beat by silence of the lamb. So I'm not going to pick a fight with them here. It's not like it got beat by crash or something, but yeah. Yeah, there are certainly years where the best film of the year is an animated story. Up was fantastic.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Well, do you guys want to pick a movie for next time? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Brian, I've got three musicals. Why not just stick with this so it's Oscar season, but these are all Oscar-nominated musicals. We have option one, Cabaret from 1972 a female girly club entertainer in the Weimar Republic era in Berlin romances two men while the Nazi party rises to power around them. Option two, Fiddler on the Roof from 1971. The pre-revolutionary Russia, a Jewish peasant contends with marrying off three of his daughters while growing, in, growing anti-Semitic sentiment threatens his village. And option three, West Side Story from 1961. Two youngsters from a rival of New York gangs fall in love, but tensions between their respective friends build towards tragedy.
0: I think we're going to go with uh, West Side Story.
1: Alright. All right, Let's uh get our finger snaps ready for a rumble. Yeah, jets or sharks? Uh, I think sharks are cooler than jets.
0: <laughs> Agreed.
1: Alright, we'll, we'll do that next week and I'm excited to get into that one. So Chad, Brian, thanks. It is always fun to do one with you guys.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, you too, man.
1: And thank you, all the lords, ladies and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at at retro, And email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And producing this podcast is fun but not free. And we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page, which is, I think, working properly now. Chad informed me for over a year. It actually wasn't set up properly. But you can now give us money at patreon.com forward slash. Slash retro movie round table. So any contributions you give us will make the show better and go towards making the show better for you. So as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian?
0: Okay, so you're like Buddha if he wasn't so enlightened. And you're like Jesus if he wasn't arrogant and all his miracles were fake.